Hey, happy question show time. I'm recording from inside my house because the uh, fall storms have returned and it's been really blowing hard. We've been trying to find a place to shoot outside and it's just not gonna work. So you get the inside of my house. Uh, I don't know, is the telescope visible? Uh, so I've got the telescope behind me and that's just to remind you that, that we've been bringing back the virtual star parties, both on YouTube and on Twitch. So if you haven't already, follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash fkane and then here on YouTube and I'm sort of going back and forth and I'm showing off the night sky with a live telescope. Big thanks to Oceanside Photo and Telescope for lending me the observatory. Super cool, uh, a lot of fun. So if you wanna see the night sky almost live, uh, join me for one of those and I'll, I'll sort of let you know when upcoming events are happening. All right, uh, the other thing just to note is that for the next couple of weeks, travel's gonna be a little weird. I'm going for the 500th episode of Astronomy Cast. That's going to be in St. Louis. And then I'm going to be doing this uh, Seeing the Stars cruise with uh, Dr. Paul Sutter. And that's going to be from the, from I guess from like the 15th to the end of September. So, but Chad is coming with me. So hopefully, I don't know, we may make more content. We may make less content. I don't really know. Anyway, it's going to get a little weird for the next couple of weeks. But, uh, but hang in there. It'll be good. All right, let's get on with this uh, week's questions. The Game Crasher. The Master Gamer. Also, not to be that guy, but what would your reaction be to undeniable proof that aliens not only exist, but have been communicating with Earth's governments and were kept secret from the public? Uh, if there was undeniable, I would be convinced that, that, that these things are happening. I would be outraged that someone had been hiding this information from us in a vast global conspiracy of the government, and I would want to know what had happened. Uh, and I'm sure now you're wondering, like, why don't I believe in UFOs then? Because, you know, there are any number of conspiracies that people are promoting. So which is the one that you're supposed to believe, right? Do you believe the UFO one? Do you believe the 9-11 ones? Do you believe the, the climate change? Do you believe that, um, that the stonemasons are keeping, the stonecutters? Uh, are robbing crayfish of their sight? Which of the million conspiracies that are proposed all the time are the ones that are real? I don't know. The way you do it is you wait for someone to provide you with legitimate evidence, undeniable evidence that a thing is happening. And it can't just be, uh, I saw something, so you should believe me too. Or I heard of a person who saw something. Or here's something that I don't understand. Those are not proof. Proof is, you know, here's the alien spaceship landing in the middle of our, you know, blasting the White House. Here's the um, uh, the alien communicator device. The aliens have, have arrived and they're shaking our hands and there's the their berserker probes flying around. It's evidence, right? And so that's all is I would be, if, if it turned out that the government had been hiding evidence of this, I would be super mad, uh, but I don't think they are. Um, I think that, uh, that there so far is no believable evidence of any kind of alien encounters whatsoever. So until something changes, I will be glad to change my mind. And of course, I've mentioned this in the past, right? I, it's the most important question that we as human beings can ask. Are we alone in the universe? I want to know the answer, but I want, if I do know the answer, I want to know that the answer is a real answer, that it is it is supported by mountains of evidence. And until then, I'm just gonna to continue to keep it in the I don't know box. Are there aliens? I don't know. Is there a vast government conspiracy? I don't know. I, if you tell me that there is, then you have to prove to me that this conspiracy exists. Not, 
you heard that somebody saw a thing or uh, it's sort of weird that you don't understand how cameras work on the moon, things like that. So anyway, uh, that, that would be my feeling. Pradeep J. When planets, example Mars, are on the opposite side of the sun to the Earth, how do we communicate with satellites, rovers, etc. on Mars with Earth? We don't. Uh, when Mars is on the opposite side of the sun from the Earth, it is effectively blocked from us for communication. And so there's a period of time when all of the spacecraft, rovers, orbiters, all of that are just out of contact with us here on Earth. And then eventually, as Mars moves onto the other, around the other side of the sun and peaks out of the, the other corner of the sun, then we get a chance to communicate with it again, which is great. Um, in the future, you can imagine when we have like a better uh, infrastructure in the solar system, you can imagine, say, the spacecraft will communicate with Venus orbiters first, and then the Venus orbiters will pass along the news to the Earth orbiter, or they'll communicate to Jupiter, and then Jupiter will pass it along, or, or the asteroid belt. So right now, because we just don't have that infrastructure, when those spacecraft go onto the other side of the sun from us, we can't talk to them, we can't see them, we can't hear what's going on, and if some big problem happened, we wouldn't know for a couple of days until they peeked out the other side of the sun. The Allegiant Traitor. Do we still need space telescopes like Hubble or Louvoir if we can correct atmospheric distortions? I got a bunch of questions on that after I did the whole episode on adaptive optics, and the answer is yes, of course we do, right? Um, the Hubble Space Telescope at a 2.4 meter, 2.6 meter telescope is dramatically better than any other telescope on Earth, except for now this, this new round of, of telescopes. And the next round of monster telescopes are gonna be better than Hubble. But if you put a seven meter space telescope in space, a 15 meter space telescope, you're gonna get, it's still, it's completely out of the atmosphere. It can point at the same object for months at a time. That's something that you want. There's also other wavelengths. So you can't do certain kinds of infrared, ultraviolet, gamma radiation, x-rays, certain kinds of other wavelengths that, that are blocked by the atmosphere. So you still need to have a space telescope. So there's going to be a need for both. And you're going to see this, this arms race where the space telescopes get better and the ground telescopes get better. And yes, yes, more telescopes, please, both space and ground. Prabhakar Gautam. When is TESS going to be operational? At the time that I'm recording this, TESS is operational, is gathering data right now, and apparently there is already probably several hundred planets in the data that have already been discovered. It just hasn't been publicized and hasn't really been, uh, you know, the scientists haven't a chance to go over the data yet. But you're going to just see planet after planet get discovered by TESS over the next few months, years. Uh, so just like hold on to your hats. And we'll do an update at some point once we've got a few thousand 10,000 planets discovered by TESS. Bill Sugden. Thank you, Fraser. I would urge any interested viewers to sign up to Fraser's weekly newsletter for greater depth on many of his videos. Great value at zero dollars. Great point. My newsletter is awesome. I work very hard on it. And it is, it is completely written by me. It has uh, usually 12-ish stories that I write about different things that are happening in space this week. Some are links to Universe Today, others are just links to other websites out there on the internet. And I highly recommend you check them out. They're great. Uh, a totally free newsletter. So join the 12,500 other people who get it every week. Daniel Rourke. Fraser, is it possible that the answer to why we haven't seen evidence of life in the universe is that we haven't looked very hard? 
SETI has basically relied on private donations, and I've heard it said that only a very small part of the sky has been observed in meaningful or exhaustive fashion by them. And also, the best evidence of advanced civilizations may be something that we don't yet know of to look for. All right, so I'll just cover a couple parts here, right? First thing is SETI as a method for scanning the sky, looking for evidence of aliens. And you're exactly right. The amount of telescopes, the amount of wavelengths that they're looking at, the amount of targets that they're trying to look at, it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the night sky. And you could absolutely put dozens more telescopes, have them looking at many different targets, listening, pulling all that data down and astronomers could look through it and, and study it. And so we have absolutely not comprehensively looked at what data is out there in, in the universe. So that's the first thing. But, you know, back to some of the videos that we've had in the past where when you think about how aliens would work, an alien civilization would work, that they would, you know, they would colonize their own system, star system, they would build self-replicating robot probes, those robot probes would go to other star systems, they would colonize these other star systems, turn them into more robot probes, and there would be robot probes across the entire Milky Way. And so the really the big question, the one that, the one that makes the Fermi paradox such a paradox is where are all the robot probes? Because that is a technology that we're about to be able to do. In the next few decades, we're going to be able to start making those self-replicating robot probes. A hundred years from now, we'll be able to send those probes to other star systems. So if we can do it, why hasn't anyone else do it, done it? Now, you ask this question, like, why isn't it something that we just don't understand how to look at? Well, that's a perfectly good possibility, but sort of the assumption is we live in the universe with these other alien species and they have the same constraints that we do. They have energy from their star, they would have to use raw materials from asteroids and planets and gas giants and things like that. And so you would expect to see things that are here. Now obviously they could be powered by pure thought alone or the power of dreams. Uh, and if so, then, then we won't be able to detect them at all. And it'll require us uh, you know, many more thousands of years before we realize that the aliens were all around us all along. But uh, you know, an ant doesn't understand human beings, but an ant sure knows we're here and vice versa. So because we rely on the same resources that the ants do. We use the plants, we use ground, we use rock, sand, and so we fight ants for resources, which is why there's so many exterminators. So uh, I think that we would see them, or the, the goal is to detect that, that expansion. And every time you wonder like, why would there not be aliens? You look at what we're about to do and you say, well, they would probably be able to do what we're able to do. So that's sort of, that's where the paradox is. And that's why it's so compelling. Colin Forrest, quick question, Fraser. Hypothetically, can a black hole travel faster than light? I understand it's just a super dense star at its heart, but because of its natural warping of space time, can this theoretically work as a natural warp drive? No, nothing can move through space faster than the speed of light, including a black hole, no matter how much it warps space-time. Black holes, at the end of the day, are still a mass attempting to move through space-time, and they can't move faster than the speed of light. What's kind of amazing is that black holes can collide with each other, and one gets kicked out and can be moving, say, you know, relativistic speeds, 10% the speed of light, things like that. Also, black holes rotate. 
and they can and you can actually see that the rotation speed is limited by the speed of light so a black hole will get will spin up faster and faster and faster but then because of relativity they they top out as how fast they're able to spin and you can actually detect and see how fast black holes are spinning inside their accretion disks so uh, so no you can't move a black hole faster than the speed of light no matter how weird they are Moyen Mishra Hey Fraser, I can't wrap my head around the fact that the CMB is seen in all directions if all galaxies are moving away from the Big Bang. Please help. So I think it's really important when you think about the Big Bang, don't think of it like an explosion, right? Right? Think of it like a grid, like a grid of, of squares, right? Cubes. And it goes on forever in all directions. You've got this grid and then the grid expands. And obviously, if it started infinite and goes on forever, and then the grid expands, the space in between, the size of those boxes in the grid gets bigger, the volume gets larger. But, but it, it's not an explosion, it's just this expansion where every part of the space is expanding. And so that is what's happening with the Big Bang. Now, we don't know if it's finite or if it's infinite, and if it's finite, right, then maybe it wraps, so if you go far enough on one direction, you reappear on the other side, and if you go up, you reappear on the bottom, and if you go the front, you reappear in the back, right? Like a 3D game of asteroids. But, but it is not an explosion where everything started in one place. It is just this grid of a certain density that is then expanding, and the volume contained within that grid is getting bigger, right? And so then the CMB, and this is the part that's so baffling, is that when you look back in time to 13.8 billion years ago, you're seeing this time when the grid was really small, where the, everything in the universe was so dense, it was so hot that light couldn't escape. But it still could have gone on forever, right? It would just be infinite in all directions, but this grid that's really tightly packed together. And then where we are today, 13.8 billion years after, we are looking back in time to those moments when the universe was opaque. But all of those regions have been carried away from us, and now they're like 46 billion light years away, and the light has traveled for 13.8 billion years. And so we're not seeing this, you know, when we look in all directions, we see the CMB, we're not seeing the wreckage of the Big Bang as it's slowly expanding away from us. We're seeing backwards in time to this moment right after the Big Bang, or 100,000 years after the Big Bang, or 300,000 years after the Big Bang, where the light could finally get out. And it was doing that across the entire universe simultaneously. But it's only that because the light takes time to get to us, do we see in all directions this precise moment. And as we proceed in time, as we move on, we're seeing another moment farther out. Every second we see one light second farther out. Every year we see one year farther out. And so it's not that we're seeing this explosion in wreckage. I hope that helps. I know it's a tough one to wrap your head around. Snow Toad. My dream since childhood has always been an astronaut firefighter putting out fires in space. And then I grew up and found fires in space are a totally different matter. Well, good news. <laughs> space fires are a huge problem, really dangerous. They act in really weird, unpredictable ways. And they are one of the biggest, most dangerous risks that astronauts face. So if you wanted a career in space and you focused on being a space firefighter, there's gotta be a job for that in the future. Uh, and I think we're gonna use this as an opportunity to show off pictures of fire in space. Eric Sorensen. Hey Fraser, great stuff as usual. 
Something I've been wondering lately is why there seems to be no plan to launch the Orion spacecraft to LEO or ISS, say, on a Delta IV or an Atlas. So the Orion actually has flown the first test flight of the Orion capsule. This is, of course, the new capsule that is going to send humans out beyond the Earth orbit, out beyond the lunar orbit, potentially, to help build the deep space gateway and, and potentially go to asteroids and sort of set the groundwork for going to Mars. The Orion, the first Orion capsule has already been sent on a test mission. I believe it was launched on a Delta IV Heavy. So a Delta IV Heavy or an Atlas Heavy, they can both carry the Orion. But to really go anywhere and do anything useful with all of the additional stuff, you want a bigger rocket. And that's why the SLS is being developed. The other thing is that the Delta and the Atlas aren't human rated, so they're not designed with all of the safety precautions to take humans into space. And so NASA is going after sort of two different plans. One with SpaceX, with the Crew Dragon, and with Boeing, with the Starliner, to send humans to the International Space Station with this very specific smaller rocket, smaller capsule. Its only job is to send people to the space station and let them get on board and then a way to come home when they need to. While the Orion is a much bigger, longer-term vehicle that's designed to help astronauts handle the, the demands of deeper space, and that's going to take a much bigger rocket, the Space Launch System. And so that's the whole rationale. Now, is it the best rationale? Probably not, and especially as we're seeing the Falcon Heavy and potentially the SpaceX BFR. But right now, until those other launch platforms come to market and are able to be demonstrated to be safe for humans, NASA is going to continue to develop the SLS with the Orion on top and start doing their test launches that way because they're just they're not going to wait. Ford Nikita Bullion. What if you find gold or oil on the moon? Are you legally allowed to keep it? There's no reason why you can't do it. Uh, the Outer Space Treaty, which is the rules that all of the nations, spacefaring nations, came together and agreed upon, was really about stopping weapons of mass destruction being put into space. You can't put nuclear weapons in space. You can't have nuclear-powered super soldiers. You can't have right nuclear, nuclear. That's, that's what they were concerned about. And no mass drivers, no rods of God, nothing. You can't kill large amounts of people from space. That's, that's really the major goal. And then from that, the Outer Space Treaty was designed to make sure that space was kept as much a research place as possible. Um, if you get, you know, if you show up at the, at the Russian lunar base, they have to let you in and they have to let you use their material because it is a, these are places shared for all. But there's no rules that say that you can't extract resources and bring them home. And in fact, recently the United States has developed more specific rules for themselves saying, let's extract resources and, and bring them home. But at the same time, it's like possession is nine tenths of the rule. If you can actually build a rocket and you go to space and you can get gold and you can bring it to Earth or just keep it out in space, someone's got to have to stop you. So I think that's the part that's at the end of the day is going to be the one that really decides it is whether anyone's in any position to stop you from doing it. But right now, there's no rules that would, but, but it's a, definitely a gray area. And, and I'm sure that as this starts to happen, the nations are going to want to come together and define specifically how resources can and can't be used. But in the beginning, if you test gold asteroids brought back to Earth to, to crash the world's market, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be that concerned about it. Ross Nam, 
In Dennis E. Taylor's Bobiverse trilogy, the superintelligent others continuously strip planet systems from all the metals they can find in order to build a giant Dyson sphere. Are metals really the only material from which you could conceivably build a stable structure around a star? Would you not be able to mix in the rock and organic material if your goal is to get the structure up and running as quickly as possible? This whole concept of a Dyson sphere, right, is a bit of a misnomer. No one will actually build a Dyson sphere because once you build a Dyson sphere, once you actually connect together an entire sphere, the object becomes unstable. So it is no longer in orbit around your star and it starts to drift around or the star is drifting around inside and it'll bump into the wall and dig a hole through the side of your Dyson sphere. So instead of a Dyson sphere, you build a Dyson swarm. You build a whole bunch of satellites, O'Neill cylinders, gigantic rotating space stations, all of which are, are swarming around the star and are set in such a way that they collect all of the light that's coming from the star. And yet each one is in orbit and a very stable object. What will you build those out of? You'll build them out of whatever you can get your hands on. Think about how we have, I don't know, like a space station today. It's made of metal and aluminum. It's made of, uh, it has solar panels, which are parts made of glass and parts made of silicon and uh, germanium. And there's all these different elements. So who knows exactly what's going to be the best balance of those in the future, but you can imagine they're going to be building solar panels and, and uh, you know, various habitable structures and farms and they're going to need organic materials. So, so it's not going to be just metals. There's going to be all kinds of things they're going to be looking for. And each star system, like the solar system, is going to have some limited amount of some element that you're really hoping to get. So it makes total sense that you're going to have aliens going to other star systems to pick up whatever are the leftover minerals that they're going to need to build their perfect Dyson swarm. Otherwise, they're going to have a limited number of spacecraft that they're going to be able to build. But is it, does it make more sense to build your Dyson swarm as best you can in the one solar system, then build a different Dyson swarm in another solar system around another star? I don't know. These are the problems of a type 3 civilization. So, uh, but it's not, they're not going to be just made out of metal. They're going to be made of everything. Carbon, right? Carbon nanotubes. They'll be great. Oh, right. That was the last question. All right. Hey, thanks everyone for uh, asking all the questions this week. I really enjoyed it as always. Uh, again, travel over the next couple of uh, weeks. It's going to make my schedule really strange, but hopefully I'm going to be able to create a lot of content. I'm going to be at Florida near the Kennedy Space Center. I'm going to be hanging out with a lot of astronomers, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to bring back a lot of really cool content and answer more questions. All right. We'll see you next, I don't know, 